We are in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. We begin uh, in verse 1. We'll go through verse 5. And Paul is, of course, writing to Timothy, his disciple, one he has mentored in the faith and in being a minister of the gospel. And Paul says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the living word of Our God, let us give heed to it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, Lord, give us life through this word. Revive us according to your word, Lord. And I pray that that would begin in my own heart, in my own life today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year 1560... The Scottish Confession of Faith was published. It was written largely by John Knox and a few of his contemporaries. And chapter 18 of that confession deals with uh, what what the, the heading there is, Notes by which the true Kirk is discerned from the false. And what he means, of course, is the true marks, by, the marks by which the true church is distinguished from the false church. In that section, you will find uh, that they, those men correctly appraised the Roman Catholic Church to be a false church, which it still is today. And, and they left us with these three, three primary marks of a true church. Uh, and, and these marks enable us to judge any church, our own church or any church, to see whether it be true or not. And uh, these marks are, first, <clears throat> the true or right preaching of the Word of God. Secondly, the right and biblical administration of the sacraments. And then third, the proper discipline uh, of the church according to the Word of God. And so uh, the most <clears throat> foundational and maybe most important mark of the church of God uh, is the right and faithful preaching of the scriptures. And of course, John Knox is and was a, a fitting example of what preaching was all about, is all about. <clears throat> His preaching was powerful, it was effectual. It was said of him, the voice of this one man is able in one hour to put more life in us than 500 trumpets blustering in our ears. Uh, <laughs> That's a, uh, uh, that, that would wake the dead. Uh, but Knox was such a preacher uh, that people listened. They said he preached 
uh, usually for about two hours. Uh, they said it was like being in a courtroom where, uh, where the prosecuting attorney just kept making his case point after point after point, and by the end of the sermon, you could not deny that what he said was true, and you must own and accept it as true. At his graveside, someone said, Here lies one who neither flattered flesh nor feared any flesh. Uh, and so his bold, his fearless preaching led to uh, a reformation of the church in Scotland and, and England. It led to the formation of the Presbyterian church. And we, Presbyterians today, are heirs of this reformation. And really the reformation was a reformation of preaching. Uh, we find that in the history of the Protestant Reformation, not only with John Knox, but everywhere. The Roman Catholic Church preaching was so bad, uh, there was such ignorance among the priests, they didn't know how to preach, they didn't preach, and what they did preach was false. And, and so, where does true revival begin? It begins with the preachers of the Word. At the end of 2 Timothy 3, as we look back, we, we were there in these last several verses uh, over several weeks. We looked at the inspiration of the Scriptures. We looked at the usefulness of the Scriptures. We looked at the sufficiency of the Scriptures. Today we look at the preaching of the Scriptures. Uh, yes, the, scri the Scriptures are infallible, inerrant, inspired of God. Yes, they are useful for us, but they must be proclaimed especially by those who've been called to the work of preaching. And the, and the first thing we learn from our passage is that preaching, all preaching, must be done in the fear of the Lord. And Paul begins in verse 1 with this solemn charge to Timothy and, and to all men who are called to preach the word. Certainly no women are called to preach the word in the church of Jesus Christ, but men are. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now, Knox, as he preached the word, he preached with courage, with fidelity, with zeal, with boldness. And yet in his zeal, it was said that Knox was very humble and humility is usually not associated uh, with Knox. But from his first call to preach... Uh, John Knox approached the pulpit and his ministry, uh, as Paul did, in weakness and fear with much trembling, uh, so that the faith of his people might not rest uh, on his wisdom, but on God's wisdom and power. And truly, anyone who steps into the pulpit and dares to speak for God must do so in the fear of the Lord. It's a, uh, preaching is a work of great responsibility and great accountability and, and those who preach are primarily accountable, of course, to God himself. I'm accountable to uh, the session of our church. I'm accountable to the presbytery uh, of the ARP church and so on. But I'm accountable to God. And, and so uh, we must think, as James 3.1 says, we, we, Brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That ought to make everyone tremble a little bit uh, who would either teach or preach the Word of God. 
And so Timothy, along with all who have ever dared to preach the word, uh, will be accountable on this day of judgment. We're accountable now, but certainly on the day of judgment for every word that we've uttered and for the life that we've lived. Everything that we've said in God's name. And what an awesome and sobering thought. Who would dare to preach the word of God when we think about such matters? Only those who have an undeniable call to the ministry who cannot avoid that call and whom God, of course, enables by the enabling of the Holy Spirit alone. It was said that Spurgeon used to walk up. They had steps up into his pulpit uh, in the old days. That's the way it was. I guess we have two steps up here, but um, there were more. And every step he would take in in that pulpit as as he ascended it, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, that he trusted and not himself. And so Paul gave this charge to Timothy before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Timothy, you're to know that your preaching is in the sight of God, in the very presence of God. And really, God is the preacher's audience. Yes, uh, the congregation is the audience. You're receiving the word, but God is listening to. And the work of the preacher, you see, is to be done for God's approval, not even the congregation's approval, certainly not. It's, it's for the approval of God. And Paul reminded Timothy that the Lord Jesus would be his judge on that final day. And, and, and that's true for all of us, of course. Everything we do in this life, uh, we'll have to give an account for on that day. And, and so Jesus is coming again. He's going to judge the world. We'll all stand before Uh, his judgment seat, and as Paul says here, at his appearing, he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge all who preach the gospel, and their judgment, in one sense, will be all the more strict. Uh, We're more accountable to God. And ultimately, it does not matter what you think of my preaching, uh, what people who listen on sermon audio think of my preaching, doesn't matter whether my preaching leads to great success or, or no success. You can find both in the, in the Bible, by the way. Jeremiah had very little success. Peter had great success, at least on the day of Pentecost. Um, and so what matters in the end is what Jesus Christ thought of my preaching. And you, you all and I will all find out what the Lord really thought uh, of my preaching. Second Corinthians 5.10 reminds us that, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, each one of us in Romans 14.12 shall give account of himself to God. By the way, you will give an account of yourself on how you heard the word of God that was preached, how you received it, what you did with it. So you're not off the hook. <laughs> um, the thought of final judgment and giving account to God should, should cause us to, to, to live our lives in the fear of God, especially those who preach the word. So if you would pray for me, uh, that God would give me a, a greater uh, fear of him, a true and proper fear of the Lord. Secondly, from the passage, we learn that preaching <clears throat> must be grounded in and flow only from the scriptures must be grounded in and flow from Scripture. In verse 2, it's a plain statement 
He just says, preach the word. Preach the word. The word preach here is, is a Greek word uh, that is, uh, is pronounced caruso. Uh, and it means to proclaim publicly as a herald. And in Greek uh, society, in, in ancient Greece, uh, the herald had a high place uh, in that he belonged to the court. He would carry a scepter. And whatever he said was as if the, you know, the government, whatever the government may be, the ruler uh, said. Because the, the herald was to take only, was to deliver a message and he had to deliver it strictly as it was given to him. He was not to alter the message or to change it in any way. And, and so like Greek heralds, preachers are called to take God's word and to deliver it faithfully without changing anything uh, and to give it as it's been given by God. And so uh, the, the, the herald, the Greek herald had much authority because his word was the ruler's word. And so when uh, he spoke truthfully, uh, then they had to uh, hear that word as if it was the ruler speaking. And so, too, even though I am a sinful human being, if I speak the word truthfully and faithfully, it is as, as if God is speaking. The authority of the preached word is there. And you and I need to bow before that word when it is faithfully preached. So we, we must not adulterate, water down, or twist the Bible, but faithfully deliver uh, the, the, the message of the Bible. That doesn't mean that all we do is stand up here and read the Bible, right? And so that would be safe. I couldn't get it wrong if I just read the Bible. Uh, I do have to preach it. I do have to explain it. And that's where uh, you know, I can get it wrong. So pray for me. Uh, pray for me that my preaching would be grounded in and accurately reflect uh, the Scriptures so, Dr. Hendrickson concludes that according to Scripture, then, heralding or preaching is the divinely authorized proclamation of the message of God to me. You see, God is the one who is authorized preaching. He is the one who has set it up this way. It's not my idea. Uh, faithful preaching. What is it? It's that which is faithful to the Bible. How do you know if a preacher is is, is, is preaching right? Well, just compare what they say with Scripture. If it lines up, they're faithful. And, and if the message doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not really preaching. Uh, it's just someone telling you their own opinion. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of preaching going on today, but of course we, we, we all know that it's not all true or biblical, uh, not in any sense of that word. Some of the preaching could not even be called preaching, but uh, many people are preaching themselves. They preach their experience, or they. Uh, but Paul said, Second Corinthians, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants. Uh, of course, some claim to 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 preach, but they leave Christ out of the message. They preach a legalistic or a moralistic. Message, but as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Jews request a sign, uh, Greeks seek after wisdom. And, and the Greeks had great orators, great speakers, uh, public speakers. And yet, uh, he says, We preach Christ crucified. 
So a person doesn't preach unless they preach Christ. <clears throat> to preach the word is to preach Christ. And if someone fails to preach Christ, he fails to preach the word because Christ is the word. Uh, he's the living word. Uh, and the written word is all about him. In Colossians 4, Paul asks for prayer for his preaching. He says, pray that I might speak the mystery of Christ. And, and to do it plainly or, or boldly or uh, to do so in such a way that it's unmistakable, straightforward speech. You see, that's, that's what preaching ought to be. It ought to be unmistakable. This is the message and you cannot deny it. You cannot ignore it. It's plain as the nose on your face. Uh, you know, when I was young, uh, a new Christian, and I would go to different churches as I was maybe looking for a church, and it, it bothered me so much when a when a preacher just kind of tiptoed around the truth. You know, just sort of, uh, you know, just beat around the bush. He didn't really get to the point, just like I'm not... Getting to the point right now. No, preachers are to tell it like it is, plain and simple. Um, and, and, and so we ought to have unashamed boldness of speech. We're not hiding anything. We're not, as preachers, we're not trying to, you know, conceal something so that, you know, we can get you in. And then later maybe you'll find out what we really think. No, we should say exactly what. God's word says, Paul said in the preaching of the word, Timothy must be ready. And that comes from a Greek word that means make to make to stand. Right. A person who's sitting down on the job is not ready that you need to be standing up and ready for action. And that's uh, at an instant. And so the preacher must be ready. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, there are seasonable times. There are unseasonable times for preaching. But a preacher needs to preach when, uh, when people are ready and willing to listen. He also needs to preach the same message uh, even when people shut their ears to the truth. When the word is welcome and when the word is not welcome. In other words, preaching is always in season. There's never a time uh, that you should not be preaching if you're called to that ministry. And of course... The preacher should not adjust his message uh, to the hearers. Now, we, we do try to relate to people where they are. It's easy for me to do. I am one of you. I live in the community you live in. I grew up in the South. I, you know, I, we're, we, have, we, we are part of the same culture in many ways. We have a lot of things in common. It's easy for me to, to relate to you, I think. But, um, uh, it, you know, the message should be the same no matter what group. The preacher is speaking to and the preacher must not give in to the fear of man. Uh, this is a great temptation uh, for the minister. But besides the fact that the congregation pays uh, the salary of their preacher, you see, he might be tempted to back off a little bit and not step on toes because people might not want him around. But Jeremiah chapter one, God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. To be a preacher. And, and Jeremiah complained. He was just a teenager. He was just a young man. He says, I'm only a youth. I can't speak to these, uh, you know, to these older people, to these leaders, to these rulers. God said to him, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Do not be afraid. 
Verse 2, Paul went on to say that <clears throat> Timothy in his preaching must convince, rebuke, exhort uh, with all long suffering and teaching. And uh, that uh, these elements of preaching really are roughly parallel to the elements uh, of sanctification in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, where he said, you know, Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And so, so if, if the Scripture is for that, then preaching the Scripture ought to be aiming at these kinds of things. Uh, there needs to be conviction. Convince. Uh, convince people of their sins. You know, the preacher is like the prophet of old. And the prophets did convict the people of sin so that they would repent of their sins. And no preacher that ignores that part of his calling is fit to preach. But next, in verse 2, we have something that's more positive. That is to exhort. Uh, to exhort. And this word means to encourage, to support, uh, to, to comfort, to strengthen. And the root meaning of that word is to call to one side. You see, I am a fellow traveler with you. I am a fellow disciple with you. And uh, it's the idea of this tender, fatherly admonition and so preachers must exhort they must lovingly urge the congregation to to press on uh, to to endure to hang on in in hardship and in suffering to remain faithful uh, in their duties to remain steadfast in their love for each other and so on uh, and to continue in good works and so the word of god it convicts but it also corrects and then it, it, it helps uh, to lead the way. It's, it, in that way, the, the preacher is like a shepherd uh, when he is preaching. He is um, guiding the flock in the right way. And, and in the end, he's not driving the flock and pushing them out, but he's leading the way. Uh, and they follow if he leads in the way of the Lord. And uh, ultimately, he is to lead them to the good shepherd, to Christ himself, that we might together follow him and then he said to, to do so with all long suffering or, or, or patience and so you know the success of the gospel the success of the preaching ministry is something that should be patiently waited on as a farmer uh, plants his seed the word is the seed and waits on it to to produce fruit um, that's not an immediate process it takes time and so uh, the preachers want immediate results I think that's why, you know, that's where the altar call initially came from. Preachers want to see a result. Come down front and uh, come to the altar, come to the anxious bench. Well, we got some results, didn't we? Right? Um, no, I, I, think, I think that we need to be more patient and, uh, you know, because it takes time for the word to shape and mold people's lives. Sometimes there, there is an instant response, but that's God's prerogative. We cannot and should not try to manipulate or engineer such things. Uh, eventually, of course, there will be a harvest uh, of souls, a harvest of righteousness uh, in Galatians 6, 9. And this is true of all ministry, not just preaching. But it says, but we should not lose heart in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. If the preacher doesn't faint, if, if, if you, as a disciple of Jesus, don't give up, press on in serving Christ, then we will see uh, a reaping, a harvest. And let's pray for that. 
but let's wait for it as well. And the last word of verse 2 is teaching you know, or doctrine, as, as the King James has it, and, and that's the same thing again in, in 3.16. And so preachers must teach when they preach. We're, I'm not just here to stir up the emotions, uh, but I'm here to inform the mind. Yes, to do so with passion and with emotion uh, so that you understand the gravity of the truths that are being proclaimed. Uh, But the word of God comes to the mind and then it stirs the emotions after that. Don't start, don't put the the caboose where uh, the engine ought to be in the train, if you will. Uh, Third point that he makes here in uh, verses 3 and 4, is that preaching must be done with a consideration and understanding of the times that we live in. Uh, We need to preach with readiness and conviction and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And of course, at every age, the church faces this problem of people not wanting uh, to hear sound doctrine. They want to reject the plain truth. Uh, they would rather hear something that's entertaining, that's, that's interesting, uh, but truth, not so much. And, and of course, in our own culture today, I think that tendency to rebel against truth itself uh, has escalated to a high degree. And I think it's obvious we've come to such a time in our nation that that people are not going to endure sound doctrine and sound preachers. And honestly, the, the, it's, we need to pray for the church because uh, the church churches that, uh, that we would have thought were sound are giving in and, and letting go of truths today that, uh, that in, in, in days past they wouldn't have. And so we're becoming weak. We're succumbing to the cultural pressures um, and, and, and the times we live in, of course, are anti-truth, they're anti-authority, they're anti-Christ, they're anti-Christian. Christians, like Rome, in Rome, they were blaming the Christians for uh, the burning of Rome. It's their fault. Well, this is what we see in our culture. People are, are blaming Christianity and Christians for the problems. You you're Christians who are condemning homosexuality and condemning the trans people and you're making them want to commit suicide because you're telling them they're sinful and wrong. And so it's all going to be blamed on us. Uh, and that's what's happening. And so uh, in addition, what we find, is, as Spurgeon put it over well over 100 years ago, one of the great evil... Uh, uh, of the times, evils of the times, is this insatiable craving for amusements. Uh, and what would Spurgeon think if he gets, and that was his day, uh, what, what would he think if he saw the church today? Um, he said, within suitable mounds, bounds, recreation is necessary and profitable, but it never was the business of the Christian church to supply the world or supply you know, God's people with amusements. Um, you know, I grew up playing church basketball. I grew up uh, loving that kind of thing. And in one sense, it's, it's purely innocent. It's, it, the body's important. Let's, let's get people out and get them exercised. Let's get the youth in. And all. But if we go so far as, as to think that, well, we've got to have these things. We've got to have amusements. We've got to have entertainment. 
then we're sending a message really that I think has ultimately been harmful to the message of the gospel. But Paul warned Timothy, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, will turn their ears away from truth, and turn aside to fable. So the sad thing is that preachers will tell people what they want to hear. You know, churches have done surveys. You know, what would you want to hear if you came to church? I don't think that's the way we do it. I don't think that's the way God has intended for the church and the preaching ministry to be. We take our orders from God and from his word. And sadly, many people who attend good churches often will kind of contradict what good preaching they've heard by going to the television and listening to these heretics that are on there. There's so many false prophets, so many false teachers on television. And I'm not sure that many churchgoers in America today know the difference. Uh, Jeremiah 5.31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. My people love to have it so. And there, there are preachers out there who are accountable to no church. They're on their own. And, and, and basically they do what they want. They say what they want. And, and those are the people uh, that we probably should not bother listening to. God wants us to understand the times that we live in. We need to be like the men of Issachar. It says in First Chronicles 12.32, The sons of Issachar understood the times to know what Israel ought. To do. In light of these times that were coming, and, and we're already there indeed for Timothy, and, and certainly are here in our day, what was he to do? What are we to do? And the last point he makes in verse 5 is that Timothy must endure affliction and persevere in preaching the gospel. Verse 5 Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Timothy was to be watchful, he was to be sober-minded, he was um, to resist temptation, to watch and pray for his own soul and his own walk with the Lord, but also to watch and pray concerning error that might arise in the church. And he he was charged to endure afflictions. Um, When things get tough, when, uh, when people turn against the message, when people turn against the messenger, uh, they must endure and not give up. I remember reading biographies of, of, of George Whitfield and who would stand up on a makeshift podium in the open air and preach. And people, uh, most of the people were rapidly, you know, uh, uh, giving attention to what he said. But then there were a lot of rebel rousers, they called them, who would throw rotten fruit at him, throw rocks at him, and come after him. And uh, this was a normal thing that he had to face. Well, uh, we have to endure affliction. And uh, I've had people come into my office with their fists balled up as if they wanted to, to fight me. Um, and, and I've had threats and so on. But, you know, these are the afflictions and things uh, that we endure as preachers. And, and so remember, we need to remember when... when you know, if I start feeling sorry for myself, I need to read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 
uh, you know, and, and read about the people who were sawn in two and so forth. And, and we read about Moses. By faith, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather enjoy, to enjoy the pl- passing pleasures of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And that's the thing is, those who preach the word uh, may or may not be rewarded or see success, uh, but in the end, if they're faithful, uh, there will be a great reward for those who endure. And so I pray for God's grace to endure to the end until he decides that my time is up. And I remember probably it's been, you know, it's been well over 20 years ago. There was a group of people in this church that tried to have me removed. And I said to them plainly, I said, I'm not leaving this ministry until God says my time is up, until God removes me. And he may remove me today, but I'm still here by the grace of God today. And uh, God has enabled me to endure and to persevere. And I thank him for that. So Paul continued in his exhortation. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, Timothy probably did not have the gift of evangelism. I think Paul did. Uh, and, and Timothy had to be, you know, pushed a little bit. And, and, and I think that's true uh, for, for a lot of preachers. Uh, you know, it uh, didn't matter that Timothy had the gift or not. He's still called to do the work of evangelism. And, and so he was to be always seeking the salvation of lost sinners. And there's some in the church, of course, who don't know Christ, so they have to be reached. The gospel needs to preach in the church, but also on the street. Uh, the pastor needs to, to lead the way in witnessing and to be an example. Now, primarily, my job is to, to edify the saints of God. I'm speaking largely to Christians uh, day, week in and week out. But preachers have to be evangelists in the pulpit. And I don't apologize for that. Uh, And first of all, it's a good reminder for those who are Christians when we hear evangelistic emphasis in the sermon to to remember what the Lord has done for us in Christ. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, to remember that Christ died for us. And so the same thing should be true at least some of the time, really all the time, in in the sermons as well. I I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones um, who was a great preacher himself, said, he said, there's, there's something essentially wrong with a man who calls himself a Christian and who can listen to a truly evangelistic sermon without coming under conviction again, without feeling something of his own unworthiness and rejoicing when he hears the gospel remedy being presented. Um, so pray that I will properly... Do the work of evangelism. And, 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 and of course, there's always people who need Christ in the church. Um, the, Jesus said at times we need to leave the 99 in order to seek that one lost sheep. And so, again, I'm going to do that, hopefully, uh, until I die. But evangelism is vital, and it's a vital part of preaching in and yet, it's, it's something that we're all called to live out. And so, let's pray for each other to continue to do the work, all of us, to do the work of evangelism. As I was <clears throat> talking to someone this week, talking to one of you, I said, this, this passage in this sermon is really more for me <laughs> than it is 
for you. So please, your job then is to pray for me, but also, again, uh, that, that God would raise up many more uh, young men uh, in our generation who would faithfully take up the calling to preach if God has called them. But we pray that God will call and equip many more young men into the ministry. I'm going to ask the elders now if they would come forward as we uh, go transition to the Lord's table.